Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. And let me tell you first and foremost, um, just what an honor and a privilege it is to be here with you guys. Last time I was here, uh, I forget how many years ago it was, but to put it in perspective, this room was where all the kids were, and the very front room is where you guys were meeting, and there was a much smaller group of you guys. Uh, but obviously the Lord is up to something here. Uh, you all are vulnerable and authentic and real. You come as you are, and that's an attractive thing to a world that is looking for a place like this to belong. So thank you for being that kind of place. Thank you for growing and making space and flexing and campers out front for kids and all kinds of craziness, whatever we have to do to love people and share the gospel with this world. And in this, in this world for us today, this morning is McCreary County, and I'm really grateful to be here with you guys. So if you could just bear with me, I'd like to say a quick prayer for us as we dive into the Word together, and uh, then we'll see where God takes us. Father, we thank you for this morning and the chance to just be here in this place together. Um, I know that you have um, given me a lot of words to say this morning about my own life and about what you've taught me, but I pray that what everyone hears today would only be your words, your voice, anything that I say today that's not from you, it's not authorized of you, God, I pray that it would be forgotten, that it would fall by the wayside quickly, but the things this morning that are shared that are from you and from your heart, God, Holy Spirit, would you use those things, plant them deeply in the hearts of these people this morning, that we might all really believe that we are fully loved and fully known by you, God. Thank you for loving us, uh, and thanks for being so faithful. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let me start out with a quote here as we get into this. It's from a gentleman named Timothy Keller. And what he says is, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything else. In 2017, Christian artist Torn Wells released a song called Known. Show of hands, has anyone heard the song before? Okay, some of you. Um, it struck a chord in the hearts of millions around the world because of the way it was able to cut to the quick regarding an age-old struggle that the enemy has been using to take us out since the very beginning. And at the heart of this struggle was one simple thought. If people really knew me, the real me, and all that I've done, I'd be rejected and I'd be all alone. They simply wouldn't love me. So around our home, uh, one of our favorite scriptures, um, it's a scripture that was shared the day that my wife gave her life to the Lord, is found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and it says this, Come now, let us settle this together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this verse before, but this, friends, is an unimaginable and unbelievable promise. And I wonder, though, what if the listener, the recipient of this promise, never took God up on this invitation to come and sit together? to allow him to settle the issue? What if 
he or we were never to bring all these stained pieces that he claims he can make white as snow? What if we never brought our crimson brokenness to him, to the healer? What if we never came clean? What if we never got honest with God about all of it? What if God was never able to truly wash it, not because he didn't want to, but simply because we choose or chose not to bring it? From chapter 1 of Isaiah, that same chapter, God describes the Israelites with words like this. See if you can relate to any of these. Rebellious, forsaken, afflicted, corrupt. Their sin was scarlet red, was crimson on white, and it had stained them entirely. Others from Scripture are acquainted with this same feeling all over the pages of the Bible. The sinful woman undone by the love of God. The Samaritan woman at the well. The Roman centurion who finally believed. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Peter, the three-time denier of Jesus. Adam and Eve, the original, the first to ever try to hide from God. And we can never leave out King David and his infamous, very private and dark sin with Bathsheba. God is intimately acquainted with individuals whose sin stained their lives red. And I also know what this feeling is like. I'd be listed right up there alongside those other men and women whose records were stained crimson red. So this morning, I'm going to share a portion of this story with you in hopes of framing all of this that we're talking about this morning and why I have anything at all to say about it. My goal is to remind you of this one foundational truth. And please hear it clear this morning, because if this is the only thing you hear, this is what I want you to hear today. You were created to be fully known, fully known, and fully loved by God. In fact, to really believe and live in the truth that you are fully loved, I'd go so far as to say you have to be fully known. You cannot hold anything back from God. So, allow me to use my own life and experience as an illustration. And we'll start with just a little bit about myself, so you know a little bit more about who I am. David said a few of those things earlier, but first, uh, I'm married to Leslie. She's sitting up here at the front with some of my children. She's my beautiful wife of 18 years. That's us at my company Christmas party this past December. Um, to say that I am a blessed and honored and um, undone man at her love and the way she loves me would be a drastic understatement. Um, but she is my beautiful wife. And then I have four children, Sophia, Caleb, Bethany, and Lucas. One of them is young enough to be out in one of those trailers right now. The other three are in here with me. Bethany's really into gymnastics. Sophia's really into performing and baking. Uh, Lucas is way into drums and Legos and reading and playing. And then Caleb is the star drummer of the family. And they're both also into baseball, though they haven't played baseball in over nine months, and I hear about it almost every day. Um, so those are my children. And then the most recent addition to our family is about a 13, 14-week-old now uh, Cavadoodle puppy. Uh, who is just a hot mess. And um, we're learning how to live. Apparently, when you actually take care of a dog, it's like having another child. So we're up at night in the middle of the night. And it's, anyway, it's more than I've bargained for, but we love our puppy. Uh, for work, what I do 40 hours a week, 9 to 5, is I'm the chief operating officer of an online toy company. 
Uh, we buy and sell toys on Amazon, and the company's called Toyberg. We're based out of Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Some of you might or might not have purchased toys from us on Amazon, and I just finished up, or I'm finishing up, my 10th year of being employed there at that company. It's a fantastic place to work with incredibly uh, real and honest and Christ-centered values, and so I love my job very much. Um, I go to church, Lexington City Church in Lexington, Kentucky. My family and I have been going there for 10 years, um, and I get to serve on the directional leadership team of our recovery ministry where we help people that are in crisis and dealing with addictions and needing uh, to find a way out of the dysfunctions that they are facing in their lives. And so I get the honor and privilege, Leslie and I both do, of getting to serve and help lead in that ministry. And we've been doing that since the beginning as well. And then lastly, and most, most importantly, I am a miraculously saved by grace, utterly worst of sinners kind of person who somehow is still undoubtedly safe and at rest in God's arms. I've done terrible things in my life that I deeply regret, but God has redeemed and restored all of them and now uses them to draw people to Himself. And so while I would never have picked a done the things I do, did again, I would never take away a moment of the way God's blessed it on the other side. And that's something that only God can do. And that comes from being fully known. So, um, first thing, I'm going to show you a picture. This is how we're going to get started today. I dug this up. I found it out. This is a 33-year-old document. I think there's a picture of it going to be up on the screen. Here's the quick story. I have a vivid memory of the first time I ever remember lying and hiding. I was in first grade. It was the first time I ever forged something. I remember doing this, something I didn't want other people to find out about. And what happened is, here's what it says. This is me. In art, I pulled Charlie's hair. I fighted with him. I bothered him. I stepped on his papers. I made a hat. I stepped on his hat and I re-ruined it. I ruined it. And so my teacher made me write this out. Then she wrote on the back of it, this incident was confirmed by my art teacher. Please sign and return Monday. And I was supposed to take this home. It was taped to my back. And I was supposed to give it to my mom, and she was going to sign it. And then I had to bring it back in total shame, and, and you know everything came with it. So on the bus, I asked a buddy sitting behind me to get the letter off my back. He got the letter off my back. And then I proceeded to, in big capital block letters, write out my mom's name as her signature. And I brought it back to school the next morning. And I gave it to my teacher, and she looked at me once, and she said, Jonathan, are you sure that you gave this to your mom? And I said, yes, I am. My mom worked at the school as well in the afternoons. And so by the end of the day, the whole ruse was uh, totally out in the open and exposed. But this is a, it's a funny example of a more uh, realistic and honest principle. Most of our hiding and lying looks kind of like that. We're not fooling anyone. <laughs> I certainly was not fooling anyone as my six-year-old self. And I, I, was, I was committed to it. I stood by it. So, in the context of today's talk, this was the first time, this story, this letter, was the first time I ever remembered not wanting to share something with my parents, these people that loved me, because I was afraid of what they would think and of what would happen. I was afraid of the consequences. I believed they loved me, but on some level, I also believed the lie that it was conditional, that it was somehow attached to my performance. So, let me ask you as we get started, just to kind of get the brain juices flowing. Do you remember the first time you lied? you remember the first time you covered something up? Maybe the first time you felt like a real deep, intense shame over something you did, something you said. 
Do you remember the lies that the enemy used to try and keep the truth hidden? To cause you to wallow and sit in the shame of that moment, whatever it was. Are you still hiding that lie today, maybe? Are there other lies that you're holding on to so deeply today? So I grew up in a church, but I always kept my faith compartmentalized from other areas of my life. And as a result, I was a different person in different parts of my life. This hypocrisy grew in me as I matured, and I had opportunities to choose more and more damaging behaviors. Relationships with girls, wanting to fit in with my buddies, with my friends, learning about and then struggling with pornography at a young age all caused such deep shame and regret in me. But I also kept going to church and to youth group throughout all of it. I kept doing missions trips. I kept serving. I never let these two worlds collide. I kept, I kept them distant, apart from each other. I was completely different depending on who I was with and what I was doing. And in that, I was becoming more and more conflicted and miserable. So in a last-ditch effort to get my life on track before college and find God, I left my partying friends and focused on my relationships with my Christian friends and felt good about the choices I was making for God as I headed to Kentucky to go to college. I met my wife in 2000 uh, at the Baptist Student Union on campus at the University of Kentucky, and Leslie had me instantly head over heels. All the while I was leading worship, we were serving together at the Baptist Student Union, um, and we were really enjoying that. But I also used the privacy of my dorm room, being on my own, and the opportunity to sin to pick up old, bad habits. And within weeks, months, I was neck deep in sexual integrity issues again, shortly after beginning college. Shame and regret were once again all too common and consistent for me. I know some of you can relate to that feeling this morning. The hypocrisy was growing. It was swelling inside me. So Leslie and I began dating in October of 2000. We were engaged in November of 2001, and then we were married in January of 2003. And through, though I told her much of my struggle with pornography and about the life that I had before college, I didn't tell her the full extent of my addictions, the ways in which I had lived so hidden and with such shame for so long. I was afraid she would leave and reject me, and I didn't want that to happen. Somehow I believed that her love was conditional, even though she had always made it clear that it wasn't. And because I had become so used to believing that lie and hiding the worst parts of my sin and my addictions, I kept them quiet. I didn't want anyone to know. So after graduation and getting married, we took a full-time ministry position in central Kentucky at a church much like this, actually. And while the ministries grew and increased in size and effectiveness under our leadership, my, so did my stress and my pressure. My lifestyle of compartmentalizing my life came back and reared its ugly head. And before long, I was once again neck deep in these sexual integrity issues while serving on staff at this church. As the shame and guilt over keeping these sins hidden grew, my relationship with Leslie suffered, and the chasm between us caused my addiction to get even worse. Eventually, the pursuit of fantasy and the fuel of lust drove me headfirst into a full-blown affair with a girl that was 17 years old. And I say full-blown because it started out as an emotional affair, and before that, it was conversations, and before that, it was something that was meaningless and not even on the radar. I never set out to have an affair. I never woke up one morning and said, you know what? Today I'm going to ruin my life 
and hurt everybody that I care about. But I did pick to hide about one choice and one conversation, and I had so many opportunities along the way to bail and get back to God and to get back to the truth and to come clean, and I never did. And it ended up costing me. Over the next few months, that relationship would prove to become highly toxic and all-consuming, driving me to say and do things I would never have imagined, lying to everyone I loved, forsaking everyone and everything in my life, and ultimately costing me my integrity, my influence, my family, my job, every single thing I cared about. So 10 years ago, this past September 9th, my life and plans came to a screeching halt. I found me at the very end of myself, fully rock-bottomed, crying out to God to salvage the absolute mess that I had made of my life. I was a worship and student pastor with a hidden porn addiction that led to an affair with a minor, a colossal and very public cover page news story, and a disgraceful unveiling of all of this to the world. Getting arrested while hiding out and cutting myself off from the world in an extended stay hotel in Lexington because I had burned every single bridge in my life. After being arrested, I spent the night in jail, wrestling with the Lord. And in the morning, I bailed myself out. And you know what? God finally had my intention. It was like David realizing the sin of Bathsheba when confronted by Nathan. I was finally in full view of my sin and of what I had become. I couldn't hide it any longer. It was clear, undeniable. I was found out. I didn't pick to be, but I was found out anyway. And I was finished pretending and hiding. All I could do was cry out to God. And as it turns out, that's actually what He was shooting for in my life all along. I just thought of a verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, I think. Speaking of Joseph and his life, when he was talking to his brothers after his brothers had sold him into slavery and done terrible things to him, God had a plan all along. And uh, the verse says that what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord intended to use for good. And so the choices I made for evil, God was not done using. The morning of September 10th, now the best morning of my life, was the morning everything changed. I heard God inviting me into relationship through His Son, Jesus. Even with the reality of my sin in full view, please hear that. I didn't think God didn't know about what I had done. I knew all too well that He was fully aware of what I had done. And still, in that moment, that morning, I had this invitation to receive forgiveness and this gift. I heard Him inviting me into relationship even with the reality of my sin in full view. How in the world could that be? Some of you have had that experience and you know that God would love me and invite me into relationship with all I had done. I was fully exposed. Everything was laid bare. And He was still offering me His complete, unmetered and unfiltered love. And I was overwhelmed. So verse in Jeremiah chapter 31 says this, They found grace out in the desert. These people who survived the killing. Israel, out looking for a place to rest, met God out looking for them. And God told them, I've never quit loving you, and I never will. Expect love, love, and more love. And so now, I'll start over with you and build you up again.
So the truth of the matter was that it was for all of the things that I had done in my past and had just been caught doing that Christ came and died. And not just for those things, but also for everything else that I would and will ever do. I finally made this connection. That to receive this amazing love and finally make it my own, I had to allow all of the junk in my life to come out into the light, to be exposed, so that He could forgive it. I would never have believed I could truly be loved if it had not all been exposed. If I hadn't been fully known, He'd finally gotten me to the point where I was ready, done with the hiding. I submitted and yielded to God that morning, gave my whole life to Christ, and received His whole love in return. And finally, after years, years, guys, of working for God, serving God, I finally became His, receiving His forgiveness and grace. And I exchanged the weight of my sin and my shame for the gift of His perfect love. And I got a new life. And I had to be willing to be honest about it and my need for Him. Romans 5, 6-8 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I share all of that about myself, as well as the truth I learned leading up to and then in the moment of decision on September 10th that morning to make the simple yet real point for us this morning. Each of us, each of you, has a choice to make. Are you going to choose the path of being known? Or are you going to pick to hide? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, Today I have given you the choice between life and and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you will make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So the choice is to be known or to hide. But step back, zoom out a little bit. Here's what the real choice is. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Being fully known and fully loved is the choice for life. It's the pathway to life. It's the foundation for a life and a legacy of love, humility, and influence. Should you choose the path to hide, the pathway to death, that is the foundation for insecurity, compromise, and regret. If we look back at the very first case of hiding in the Bible, there are a few important takeaways to understand as we consider whether or not being fully known to the people God's placed in our lives is truly worth it. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve. If you need a refresher though, they didn't, they'd been born into, created into, and had the entire garden at their disposal to live in and to commune with God. They could literally do anything they wanted except for one single thing. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And within a very short amount of time, they found themselves circling the one tree in the entire garden they could not eat. Young people, you know you can relate to this. I know my children can relate to this. 
The one thing I tell them not to do tends to be the one thing they have the hardest time not doing. I don't, it's our fallen state. I don't know what it is, but it's in all of us. God gave them one clear instruction. And they began circling the one tree they couldn't eat, wondering why they couldn't eat it. Entertaining thoughts of maybe God was holding out on them. And then finally, they couldn't handle the enemy's enticement after being encouraged to go for it. So, in that moment, they ate of the fruit. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they felt shame. In Genesis 3, 8-10, through it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. It doesn't make any sense that they would have been afraid. This was their creator. This was their father whom they had communed with and spent time with every day leading up to that day. But then something changed. They felt shame for the first time. They knew right from wrong. They picked wrong. And now they had to deal with the consequence. So they hid. We all hide all the time. In big ways, in small ways. We choose to withhold. We choose to avoid. We choose to ignore, to omit. We're afraid we won't be accepted. Let me ask you, how would this story with Adam and Eve have been different? How would the fallout have looked different in the Genesis account if Adam and Eve, instead of hiding, had recognized what they'd done immediately after doing it? And instead of covering it up, what if they went running for God? What what if they ran to him and in repentance and brokenness just cried out to God and said they made this huge mistake and they're so sorry, they didn't realize what they were going to do when they did it and then they did it and they had no idea what would happen after, but here we are, Papa, Father, we're sorry. How might that have looked? Do you think he would have rejected them? Do you think that was God's heart to reject his kids? Sad thing is we'll never know how it could have gone because what happened is they hid. And in hiding, they began a vicious cycle of shame that ended with consequences they could never have imagined. And I can relate to that. The first level of hiding led to the next level of hiding, led to a few months later fallout I could never have imagined. And now for Adam and Eve, thousands of years later, we all live in the wake of that choice to hide. The New Testament also has plenty of case studies of hiding as well. We see the same kind of sitting, sinning, hiding, and then being overwhelmed with shame and regret on almost every page of the New Testament, including Jesus' closest followers. Take the Apostle Peter and his denial of Jesus. Pick it up here after he's already been confronted by two separate people calling him out and asking him to own up to being one of Jesus' disciples. And he has chosen to hide denying any connection to Jesus in Luke 22, verses 59 through 62. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man, Peter, also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. 
So Peter went out and wept bitterly. If you've ever wept bitterly, you know that there's often a large amount of shame and regret mixed into that kind of expression. The choice to hide and the slide into shame and regret are directly connected. I still remember twice in my life since my affair in the time when Leslie and I were separated before we reconciled and worked through all of this, two times weeping bitterly, once in my garage by myself, just conflicted realizing the choices I was making and who I was acting like and looking like, but yet knowing who also I, I was meant to be and who God created me to be, I remember weeping bitterly. And then the second time, sitting out in a parking lot after having a meeting with people that loved me, one specific comment from one of the gentlemen that was meeting with me asking me the question, do you really believe that you're loved by God? And I didn't. I said I did because I wasn't ready to answer the question. But sitting there in the parking lot by myself, in my car, watching my wife drive away, us separated, her with my one little girl, I wept bitterly over my sin and my shame because I was still hiding. There are so many examples of this kind of hiding all over the pages of Scripture. With the time we have left, I want to show you an example of the opposite. An example of the choice to live. The choice to be known. And it comes from the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In this story, Jesus is heading back to Galilee from Judea where he'd been preaching and has to pass through Samaria. He stopped tired and thirsty at a well to get a drink and found a Samaritan woman all alone drawing water. Being a Jew, Jesus was not supposed to interact with or speak to the woman. And being a man, he normally would not have been spending time alone with her. Yet still, he knew who she was, why she was there, what was going on, and what would transpire in their conversation. And so their interaction went on to become the longest between Jesus and any other individual in the entire Gospel of John. So in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, picking it up in verse 7, it says this, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Then on in verse 16, he says, He told her, the woman, Jesus speaking to the woman, Go call your husband and come back here. But I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And on to verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town 
and made their way toward him. And finally, in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Can you imagine if someone could come in here and look you in the eyes and list off all the things you wish nobody knew about you, that they would be willing to look you in the eyes and say, I know everything about you. How would that make you feel? Like what kind of emotion would that stir up in you? Do you think it'd make you want to run out the door, run into town, and go tell everybody that you found this person? Probably not. So why this woman's response? He told her everything she'd ever done. He knew everything about her. And still, he offered her his perfect love and his eternal life. Water that would never run dry would cause her, to thir her thirst to finally be quenched. She wasn't intimidated by Jesus. She wasn't shame-filled over his knowledge of her life and her sin. In fact, I don't know if you could catch it, but I really believe she was relieved. She was relieved and felt freedom to know that he knew. And she expressed it by going back to the village and declaring to everyone that would hear, he told me everything I did. I think she had spent so long in isolation and shame, she either had forgotten what it felt like to be fully known and accepted, or more likely, she may have never known. And this was the first time she was able to exhale and breathe deeply, knowing that she was no longer hiding anything. Because remember, what she told the people that she was trying to get to come back to Jesus was, he knows everything about me. That's not a great sales strategy if you're trying to get people back to Jesus. Except that what she understood and believed and experienced for herself was that there is no other feeling in the world like finally being fully known and still finding that you're fully loved. There is nothing like that, friends. That is what we were created for. <clears throat> this is the beauty of being fully known and fully loved by God. You're free to live the life that God created for you to live. You're not weighed down in shame and guilt, but you're set free to live in grace, to not get it perfect all the time, to screw up and make mistakes, knowing that he loves you and that he's never going to stop. So in my own story, if I had picked to continue to hide and let shame and regret win, I would have carried that burden for the rest of my life. I most assuredly would have gotten divorced. That beautiful family I showed you, those four kids, the start of our time together, would never have existed because three of those four children were a twinkle in my eye before giving my life to Christ. If I had picked to stay hidden, then there would have been three less beautiful children in my world. God brought me to my knees and showed me the way out of my addiction and my sin. I also don't know that I ever would have come to my senses and turned from my sin if I'd missed the opportunity during that season to come clean, to be fully known, to receive the fullness of His love. 
Guys, I'm so grateful that the Lord called me out of hiding and that he's showing me daily now how to continue to stay in a place where I am known and not picking to hide. Leslie and I, our marriage has been reconciled. She chose to forgive me and we worked through a lot of stuff together and individually to get to the place where we even had something to offer each other again. But the Lord has brought new life to our marriage and our relationship. And we're experiencing a depth of intimacy that never had before. I have those four beautiful kids who remind me each day of the incredible and real ways that choosing life, choosing not to hide in the everyday choices, literally and actually translates into life. And it did in my life. It translated into the lives of our three precious children after the fall. So here's some practical steps as I was thinking through what were the steps that I took to come out of hiding and to be fully known and to now live in a place where daily I'm choosing to, to be fully known and to choose life. Five steps. <clears throat> Number one, stop rationalizing. Confess whatever it is that you're hiding as the sin that it is. Call it what it really is. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't water it down. Don't make excuses for why it's not so bad or find fleeting comfort in a shallow comparison to someone else who seems to be worse off than you are. When we sin, we sin against God. That's a big deal, period. In Psalm 51.4, David came to this realization after being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. And he said this, crying out to God, Against you, you alone, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We need to call a spade a spade in our lives, knowing, believing the promise that we are already fully loved by God. And that your confession doesn't change anything about that. In fact, it makes it even more true because then you're more likely to believe it on the other side of coming clean. Number two, and this, friends, is the foundation for all freedom. If you've never received the free gift of eternal life, if you've never had a life-altering, direction-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and the gift that He offers to all who recognize their need for Him, if you haven't experienced the weight of your sin and the, the relief of taking it off your shoulders and giving it to Him and taking on His light and free mantle, that is the most important choice you can make. And it's a choice that comes on the other side of acknowledging your sin and your need for Him. It's not something you casually step into. It's something that you choose to do after you realize that you are lost and need to be saved. That's what a Savior does. He saves. And when you run to the Father, away from your sin, longing to be free, just like the prodigal with the Father on the porch step with His arms open and the light on waiting, He will come running to you because He loves you. Number three, enlist help. You must find a safe community of two or more like-minded men, guys, and women, girls, who can help you to feel safe, to come clean to get honest, to support you through the process, and to keep you pointed towards Jesus. For us, one of the reasons we're here today is because David and Stephanie were and still are two of those people for us. In our early years of the mat, when we were first picking up the pieces of our lives, they were such a crucial part of the steps we took initially towards freedom. They were safe 
They were farther along in the journey than we are. They gave us hope. They kept us from staying hidden. And they've been along on the journey ever since. You've got a fantastic pastor and, and his wife. And they both serve you and love you incredibly. And they did that for us. You need people like that to help encourage you and remind you of what's true when you take the courageous step to be fully known. Number four, create boundaries. Put up guardrails. Make it very difficult to go back to the same place you've just come out of by coming clean. Make certain things, certain places, times, conversations, interactions completely off limits. Get serious about coming into the light and staying there. I had a, uh, a verse stapled to my ceiling over my bed in my dorm room in college, and it was Romans 13, 14, and it said, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Don't provide your body the opportunity to be a body. Don't provide your flesh the opportunity to sin. Anywhere where you know you can take a step to cut something off, to point you back towards what matters, you go for that, and you cut that thing off. You make no provision for your flesh to be what it is, because you belong to the Lord. And then number five, expect that you'll need to repeat this cycle often. <clears throat> Not the part about giving your life to Christ. That happens once. Once for all time. But numbers one, three, four, and five. You're going to repeat and repeat the decision to confess, to repent, to turn, to fortify and strengthen and protect, and then confess because you're going to screw up and you're going to do it again. And that's okay because he's already told you he loves you 100,000%. There's nothing you could do more to make him love you more. There's nothing you could, you could do less to make him love you less. He just loves you with the full onslaught of his love. And it's for the taking. It's here for you this morning for the taking. So before each of us, God has set the choice of life and death to be known or to hide. I implore you this morning as someone who almost lost everything, someone who lost his way for a long time because of hiding, please do not hide. And if you're currently hiding, please do not stay hidden. Come out into the light. Be known. Because today is a new day. And our God is waiting with his arms wide open. The last thing I want to share with you is actually a scripture that I've asked my oldest daughter, Sophia, to read. Everything uh, is a little more disarming when a child says it. It's a little more believable when a young lady says it. Um, so you can come on up, Sophia. Uh, this is a scripture. It's a chapter, most of a chapter, Psalm 139. And if there's any doubt in your mind that he's good, our Father, that he's waiting, that he loves you, that the thing you're stressed about coming clean about, confessing, he already knows it. He's already fully aware of the darkness and the dirt. And he's already told you that he's crazy about you. So allow this picture of God's heart to be one that sets the table. And then uh, when she's done, I'm going to sing that song known that I told you about up at the beginning of our time together. And during that time, I'd love for you just to listen and receive it and believe it maybe for the first time and um, accept this invitation to become who you are.
O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. Even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your worksmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life.